surveillance systems depicted in this podcast are real and in use on the internet today this is the pick with sean lemmy john otney and colin westwood wow what a wind up (laughs) ladies and gentlemen colin westman it just felt good (laughs) hey what's up (laughs) how's it going colin I don't know. You excited to talk about Blue Thunder today? Oh, as excited as I need to be. <laughs> the legal minimum. Yep. Uh, John, what about you? Any initial impressions? This movie's a little more in your wheelhouse than Collins. A little. I had, it, I had it on a list, but I also thought it was about. I, I kind of made up in my mind what I thought it was about. <laughs> Because it has like this ominous poster, I always assumed, basically based off of nothing, that this was a movie about an evil helicopter. I assume that too, and let me tell you why there's a good reason to think that. If you want to buy Blue Thunder on Blu-ray today, there's one Blu-ray you can get, and it's a double feature Blu-ray, and the other movie is Stealth. Yeah. Which is about an evil sentient plane. So how could you not think this is a movie? I mean, the poster, John's talking about it's an evil looking poster that just mm-hmm. starts with he's out there. And you could almost think he's out there means the helicopter is out yeah. there. There's there's no man on the heli- on the on the poster. There's just a helicopter on the poster. Yeah. I thought it was like there's this really cool well, I think it's cool, movie from the seventies called The Car. That's just yeah. about a killer car that just kills people for no reason, and it's never explained. And it's a really good movie. <laughs> it's James Brolin. I like that it's for no reason. That's great. Uh, so I was hoping this would be a part of that genre, but it's more. It's it's more of like a like a what do you want to call it? conspiracy thriller, which is yeah. good too, which is fine. Um, Albeit underdeveloped. Yeah. Underdeveloped. There's definitely <laughs> things to like about this movie. So I'm glad that we watched it because, yeah, like I said, it was on my I'm on my list. There's definitely some people involved with it who I like, so that's cool. Um, I had not heard of this movie before yeah. Sean picked it. I yeah, did not know what it was, <laughs> and now I do. You're an expert. The skies will never be the same. True. Um. I have to admit that I had an ulterior motive when I picked this that I did not make you aware of, mm-hmm. uh, which is that there is not a lot coming out in theaters right now, but I have for many years maintained a tradition of watching a movie with my dad on Tuesday nights. And so, especially with nothing in theaters and Shocktober coming up, so I got other homework to do with movies, I thought, here's an easy two birds with one stone. I can get him to watch Blue Thunder, and I got my the pick covered. And this blew up in my face because when I tried to convince my dad to watch Blue Thunder, he's like, "Oh, I saw that forty years ago. No thanks." <laughs> wow. What was? Yeah. Did he did he not want to see it just because like, oh, I know what it's all about, or did he not like it? Like, do you have a reason? He he said, "Oh, he's got this thing where he looks at his timer and he's got to see how close he is to ten seconds." <laughs> It's dumb. 
<laughs> That's all I gave you. Um, um, which was accurate. Yeah. It is in the movie. I didn't think it was dumb in the movie. I thought it was cool. Yeah, it was, it was fine. I don't know. I feel like your dad, you said that he likes it when action movies have things that are really clever in them. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything that clever in this movie. No. <laughs> about the way the action sequences are staged. Uh, there is, There are some other elements that I think my dad would appreciate, though, that maybe he's forgotten. Um, and I'll get into those when we get into our discussion of the movie itself. But first... We gotta do our little picks to pad the length of the podcast out. Um, and in honor of a movie that has a big, violent killing machine in it, I would like to tell you about a video game with big, violent killing machines in it. It's called Armored Core Six: Fires of Rubicon, and it is the first like big budget mech game on consoles that I can remember in years. <laughs> Um, this game is developed by From Software, who have spent the last decade garnering a reputation as maybe the best developers right now by making games like Dark Souls and Bloodborne and Elden Ring. But before all that, they were making these games called Armored Core on like the PlayStation 1 and 2. And I think as recently as the PlayStation 3, although I don't believe they did anything on PlayStation 4. Um, these are games that are 50% about building the coolest mech you can and 50% about taking that mech into battle. Um, it's mostly one player. There is online multiplayer that I do not care for and do not do. Uh, it's got a branching story mode where you can make decisions about various, uh, private military companies and liberation forces and guerrilla armies and uh, space Nazis. You can work with all of them or work against all of them and try to save this planet and there's complicated magic stuff that's going on too but it doesn't really matter because the game is just about building the coolest giant robot you can think of with the parts that are available and then painting it and then giving it a name and then killing stuff with it. So I'm a huge fan. I think this game is great. I also think this has been maybe the best year ever. <laughs> for new video games it's been uh insane to go from uh the the jedi game to tears of the kingdom to Baldur's gate 3 and now starfield the new cyberpunk dlc uh there's that new mario game coming out that looks great spider-man 2 is going to be out in a month hell of a year for games maybe the best year ever i've been having a blast what about you guys um, yeah, so you mentioned, briefly mentioned Shocktober earlier, and I got into one of my Shocktober picks early. I will probably watch it again closer to when we actually get into posting our Shocktober uh, mm -hmm. post. So this is a good time to announce that the Shocktober theme is Possession Movies. And what a year for Possession Movies. We got the, the Pope's Exorcist, Evil Dead Rise, we got Exorcist believer coming up and my little pick that i watched last night is talk to me a24's talk to me the directorial debut of the philip or philippo brothers two australian brothers oh. who are known on youtube as the uh, under their channel raka raka which i guess is very successful i've never seen any of their content 
Paul says they're super annoying, my brother. <laughs> like, oh, very wow. high energy, lots of stunts. The guys do seem pretty, like, I don't know. They're, 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 they're anxious guys. But this movie, was, I liked quite a bit. It was, it was pretty restrained, very much in the A24 model. And I think it has a great angle on the possession genre. Uh, if you don't know what it's about, it's about some teens in Australia who f- have this embalmed hand, uh, an actual hand that used to belong to a, uh, a psychic or medium who could communicate to the dead. And they play this game with it called Talk to Me where you light, you, you get the room dark, you light some candles, you grab the hand, you say, talk to me. And then you see, like, holding your hand like a freaky ghost. And then you say, I, I can't remember if you say, like, let me in or let you in. And then they get into your body. And they're in your body for as long as you hold on to the hand. And the part of the challenge is, like, you, you're supposed to do it for about, you can't go over 90 seconds. Uh, spoiler alert, someone does, and that's a big no-no. <laughs> um, uh, but what's cool, what I like about this, uh, is not only do I find that game interesting, because I, I don't think this game is based on anything real, is that these kids, like, they become addicted to it like it's a drug. Like, they love to do it. Like, being possessed is fun. And they're, like, you know, mm. filming it on their phones. So it's it's kind of a nice you know, like commentary on, like, drug use in, in teens. Uh, but then, yeah, it goes to some pretty dark places. It's got a lot of practical effects. Uh, just a great vibe, mood. Uh, the the lead actress, Sophie Wilde, is really good. Um, and I'm excited for these guys, even if they're supposedly idiots. I don't know. Not my words. I think they made a great <laughs> debut film. And I know they've already got a couple projects lined up. They are making a sequel to Talk To Me. And bless their hearts, it is called Talk Number Two. Maybe. Thank Christ. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be so disappointed if they change that. But it sounds like them and A24 are on board for it being called Talk Number Two. Me. Uh, brilliant. And then uh, I don't know if they'll end up doing it, but these guys are currently the front runners to direct the a Street Fighter movie. Mm. So maybe that right. speaks to what their YouTube content. Maybe that's closer to what they used to do, or something. Because that's not what this is like. Do you have any idea what their YouTube channel is like? I, I don't know. Other I know than they them used, being annoying. Um, let's. Um, I mean, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't think you need Raka, to watch Raka. while we're recording. I don't even know what to search here. I just. I don't know. Maybe like. I see. I, I just. I don't know why this was my instinct to Google image search. <laughs> so I did find multiple images of Ronald McDonald holding a gun. Wow! I like that. That seems to be a very popular video. I'm seeing this Ronald yeah. McDonald everywhere. Not so I, I think it's around children. I did see an inter- yeah, I hear an interview with them on the Big Picture podcast. So I think what they do is they they use a lot of like real IP and then it's in subversive ways. You know, it'd be like. Master Chief takes a dump, pro- probably. <laughs> okay. Or Ronald McDonald has a gun and is like killing people, you know. But this movie is pretty smart. It's not, and it's sensitive. It's not loud and obnoxious. Though mm-hmm. I, I, I do wonder what their Street Fighter movie would be like. But we'll see if that ever <laughs> actually happens, or if that's a good idea at all. It wasn't a good idea the first time, or the second time. <laughs> Oh, that's right. The Legend of Chun-Li. Future yeah. pick, perhaps? Because who knows what that's about. I don't know. <laughs> well, I guess we know what it's about, but who knows how it plays out. It's about the Legend of Chun-Li. Yeah. It's about the Legend of Chun-Li. It's got that, 
That one guy with that one actor with the creepy eyes is M. Bison. Is that enough for you guys to? You're gonna know be what a little. You're gonna have to be a little more specific. He's got such creepy eyes. Oh, was it a Neil McDonough? It is Neil McDonough okay. is, I believe, M. Bison in that version. I okay. I can see how you would describe them as creepy. I would just call them striking because they're so striking. Yeah. yeah. Wow, you got you got taboo from the Black Eyed Peas as Vega. Oh, nice. <laughs> I want to say Mike Clark Duncan in one of his last roles, also in this movie. You're right. He plays Balrog. Yeah. Nice. Uh, okay, so maybe future pick, perhaps. Um, but now we got to hear Colin's little that. pick. Okay, uh, my little pick is going to be a TV show, one of my favorites of the past few years that came to an end uh, earlier this... this month. Actually, you're going to guess. Oh, I was going to say this is Neil McDonough adjacent, but no, you're not talking about that. No, I'm not talking. I'm not talking about Justified City of <laughs> City of Angels. Crime, <laughs> City of City Prime Evil. That's what it's called. Well, that's Prime not my Evil, little pick. Right. I haven't I haven't finished it, but it's uh, decent. I don't know. We'll see how it ends. <laughs> uh, no, I'm I'm going to recommend the third and final season of How to with John Wilson. Um, yeah, just just a show I've really loved, um, and it uh, yeah just aired its its last six episodes. Um, it's a show that I, I'm glad it ended after its third season, since even though like I've liked <laughs> pretty much every episode, it's it just it has a very familiar rhythm. I think where it's like he does you know he does this thing he. <laughs> zooms in on a certain kind of person doing something like you you could kind of predict the punchlines coming but they're always funny because there's so many fucking weird things going in going on in new york at any given moment that he he captures so meticulously and uh yeah it's just been a, a really fun show um and um yeah i mean the the this last season it, it does have like the kind of same familiar format where he'll start with a very basic subject and then it will go in weird places often i feel like they end up in him like discovering some weird like underground community of weirdos <laughs> that are into one really specific thing um like there's a episode this season where he like he has trouble concentrating on watching sports um because all his friends are always watching sports and he just like doesn't get any sports at all (laughs) and ends up discovering this community of people who are really obsessed with vacuum cleaners and so he ends up going to this vacuum cleaner convention (laughs) um but he eventually like they have this vacuum cleaner uh, contest to see which vacuum cleaner can (laughs) (laughs) like scoop up the most dirt from the carpet. And he's like, this is a game I finally understand. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. Like there, there's also uh, an episode where he confronts the fact that there was an episode in season one where he actually staged something that wasn't real. Um, because he like often gets asked when he goes on talk shows and stuff like was everything in that episode real but like there was 
There's one thing he staged, which I think was just like a toilet overflowing with sewage, <laughs> which he actually filmed in like a lot. And then it like the episode kind of plays with, you know, the, the truthfulness of what he's capturing in that episode. And then um, the final episode of the show, I, I didn't actually know it was the finale <laughs> I watched it. Uh, I think I thought there was going to be another episode or two, but I was like, oh, wait, yeah, he always just does six episodes in a season, and then it ends on kind of a melancholy note. And it, it makes sense, I guess, for a finale. It, it's kind of about mortality, I guess, <laughs> because it starts being an episode about him trying to figure out how to track your package, and then he ends up uh, finding this community of people who want to be frozen uh, before they die so that they can potentially live forever. <laughs> uh, so hey yeah, man, sometimes all, you gotta shoot your shot, you know? You know? It's worth it. It's worth trying. Maybe we'll figure out that technology someday. Um, so yeah, good show. I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I don't know if he'll make another show in a, in a different sort of vein. I, uh, I don't know. I feel like he's very similar to Nathan Fielder, and, and clearly Nathan Fielder can do uh, his kind of like docu comedy in, in more formats than just uh, what Nathan for you was. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to catch up. I've only watched two episodes from this season, mainly because I only ever watch it when I'm with Autumn, but. She says we can't watch it when we're eating because it's always so gross. Like, and it's true. I can't think of any other show that has as many shots of dogs taking a shit as <laughs> this show. And also, the first two episodes were how to find a public restroom and then how to clean your ears. Even though the ears one eventually just like devolves into like, again, a, a community of people living away from like you know technology and certain frequencies. And oh yeah, yeah. Is basically people that have, you know, the disease that Michael McKean has. In yeah, mind, but yeah, <laughs> people have like a hypersensitivity to like electromagnetic stuff. So, yeah, um, yeah, no, but I look forward to watching it, even though, yeah, I will be sad when it's when it's over. I feel like the rest of the season isn't as gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but, but yeah. gotta, gotta, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll catch up because I do like it quite a bit. It was great. It'll, it'll, it'll place pretty high on my favorites of the year list for sure. I, I already know that. So for sure. Speaking of being up real high, let's talk about helicopters. We, we found out. Before we started recording, that John's the best at doing a helicopter impression. But it's very quiet. <laughs> Tonight, the role of Night. Blue Thunder will be played by John Otten. <laughs> I'm Blue Thunder, the evil helicopter. Okay, I lost it. <laughs> Guys, this is the first movie directed by John Badham that we've talked about. Uh he is an American director, but born in the United Kingdom. Mm. I thought that was interesting because his dad was uh, Army uh, Brigadier General uh, who flew as an aviator in both world wars. Um, and he actually went on to be uh, inducted into the Alabama Aviation Hall of Fame. Yeah. Wow, prestigious so, honor. 
uh, some, maybe a, a bit of a family connection to this, to, to doing a, a movie about a uh, uh, an army aviator uh, dealing with his PTSD. Um, although that's certainly a, an underdeveloped aspect of this movie. Uh, speaking of the Batham family, though, you might remember the name Mary Batham. A.K.A. the actress who played Scout in To Kill a Mockingbird. You got an Academy Award nomination for that. Oh. That is John Badham's sister. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. They actually managed to work together on one project. A movie I had not heard of called Let's Kill Uncle. Directed by <laughs> William Castle. Wow. Uh, that's a great title. Let's Kill <laughs> Uncle. Yeah. She's one of the stars, and he served as a casting director on it. Um, We're looking that up. Hear this. Uh, John Badham got his career started in television. Uh, He directed some shows as well as some TV movies uh, that I doubt anyone's heard of, like Isn't It Shocking and The Law Uh, Beats Me. But that led to him getting to make his uh, feature debut with a movie I think we did talk about mm. briefly called The Bingo Long Traveling All-Stars and Motor Kings. A movie I've always wanted to see that Colin assumed I was a fan of, which <laughs> made me feel pretty cool. Well, you mentioned it once, I guess. I, I don't know. But uh, I- yeah. I like Richard Pryor as an actor. I watched a bl- sure. I watched Blue Collar this year. I'll get to this at some point. It's got such a great one, two, three punch in its uh, leading men. Right, Billy so, D, James Earl Jones, and Richard Pryor. Yeah, so it's gonna happen. We're gonna watch it. It's gonna be a pick. Yeah. Okay. Um, like Candyman, we mentioned it enough times. We'll have just watched it somehow. Yeah. Um. But his big break. Uh, talking about John Badham again, not Richard Pryor, uh, was taking over as a director of Saturday Night Fever. John G. Alvidson got his ass replaced. Oh, wow, I didn't know. John Badham. Makes sense. His start, yeah. You know, that kind of makes sense, because I've always thought Saturday Night Fever has, like, a weirdly melancholy feel that, now that I think about it, does remind me of Rocky. It's a little bit Rocky, yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense that it was... (laughs) I'm just, I'm just sad that he had a rocky time on set. <laughs> I didn't look into what the story was, why he got replaced, to be honest. I just know that. Maybe he was like, I'm just not having a good time. Maybe he's like, I don't like dancing. He thought it was going to be fun like the rest of us, and then it's like kind of depressing. He's like, I already did this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna go I wanna go make a movie about a kid that makes karate someday. That's what I'm working on. <laughs> Um, further career highlights include uh, the the 1979 Dracula, the one with Franklin Joe. Always one. wanted to see it. He just he looks uh. spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> you see Franklin uh. Joe's hair in this Dracula movie. Yeah, it's wow. glorious. It's very 70s. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> looks like he's getting ready to pose for Playgirl. It's awesome. I gotta watch this movie someday. <laughs> Um, I mean, he looks like he just got done combing his hair in the mirror like John Travolta <laughs> in Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> it's kind of that look. Yeah. All right. Um, okay, adding it to the list. Um, he also did Whose Life Is It Anyway, War Games, Short Circuit, uh, 
Bird on a Wire, that movie with Mel and Goldie. Yeah. Uh, Point of No Return, which is a remake of La Femme Nikita. Oh. Uh, which is funny because he later on directed episodes of the more recent Nikita TV show. Yeah, that was on like USA Network. Yeah. Um, he did uh, Nick of Time, that Johnny Depp movie that's like in real time. Remember oh, that that's one? That's right, yeah. It's, it's uh, 90 minutes. It takes set. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Uh, and his most recent film uh, somehow is uh, Incognito from 1997, the, a movie with Jason Patrick as an art forger. Um, he's still alive. He, uh, <laughs> I don't know why his uh, his movie credits stopped there. It sounds like he gets brought on a lot as the potential director for projects and then gets replaced <laughs> by someone more famous. Uh, including The Dead Zone was a movie he almost got to direct. Another uh, pick. <laughs> wow. Some of these are like, it's probably like Ghost Dad. Like, ooh, good job <laughs> dodging that bullet. <laughs> Most of these really feel like up his alley, like Project X and Starman. Those really feel like they could be John right. Adam movies. And then also, like, yeah, definitely missed out. Like, oh, man, he could have done, like, The Firm. That was a you know decent hit. Or, 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 or First Blood. Or The Wiz. That's kind of interesting. The Wiz, man. Yeah. Um, I see also that he's a he's a he's a professor at Chapman University. It looks like he's done a couple like one offs on TV shows too. Like he'll come in for an episode of yes. yeah, of whatever. Like Nikita. Yeah, like you said, Nikita uh, or like Arrow or the short lived rush hour show that no one has ever seen. Yeah. The shield I see is on there. Oh John. Yeah. Rod Sterling's okay. Night Gallery. Oh my gosh. Well that's cool, because Spielberg started on Night Gallery. So, so yeah, it sounds like he started with TV and then TV. And that's a pretty well, successful movie career there in the middle. He's only 84. Give him another job. Yeah, Woody Allen's still making movies, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and Rowan Pl- Do you hear that him and Rowan Plansky both had films at, like, the same festival? Oh, God. That's hilarious. Rowan Plansky's has uh, uh, Mickey Rourke in it, and he looks like a fucking mutant. It's really scary. It's like a dumbass comedy. I watched a scene from it on YouTube. It looked, it looked bad. Remember how Mickey Rourke wore like a bunch of prosthetics in Sin City? Mm-hmm. Do you think he would have yeah. been surgically altered if he made that movie now? Yeah, now he just looks like that. So, yeah. Looks <laughs> terrible. Um, um. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, so I was just gonna. I don't want to jump ahead, but I just remember last. I don't know if you brought it up, that, but I feel like last week you said you wanted to watch Blue Thunder because uh, they mentioned on Venture Brothers. They did. So I'd like to know more about that. So I had to go back and watch the scene. It's from season seven, the last season of um, the Venture Brothers. Um, there's a character called Saint Cloud in the Venture Brothers universe who uh, is wealthy and uses his money to buy uh, famous props. Because, uh, of course, in the in the world of Venture Brothers, there's, like, a very thin line between props and, like, real, you know, weapons and <laughs> vehicles and stuff. Um, he, he's got a very specific voice. He's like, Ooh, a very good Billy Quisby, if you remember that guy. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and uh, he one of the things he does own is Blue Thunder, and the Monarch and Gary make a comment about how sweet Blue Thunder is, and then the thing that I forgot 
uh, is I remember the monarch saying, remember how jacked Roy Scheider was in that? <laughs> uh, but what he actually says is, remember how jacked he was in Marathon Man? <laughs> um, which really helped me because I was like, how would they know that he was jacked in this movie? I feel like he puts on more and more clothes the further the movie goes. It's so goes. funny, Sean, because you said that on our last episode, I was so dialed in the whole movie trying to like see like how muscular he was. Just trying to get a get a peek of his biceps yeah even though he's wearing long sleeves the entire yeah, the movie whole, I, and i like i swear he's like by the end of it, he's like i'm gonna put on a second jacket <laughs> um he does look in great shape like a rush is like for me like the definition of dad strength you know what i'm saying like yeah. like when you see a dad and you're like oh i mean he doesn't look that strong but then you try to arm wrestle him and it's just like all the years of like <laughs> doing hard chores living. and hard living and you're like fuck i can't compete with this roy Scheider, like he's kind of a lean guy but i just imagine he'd be like he'd fucking destroy you in an arm wrestling contest <laughs> yeah he's smoking a cigarette the whole time too because he is kind of like i guess if you look at his like uh his film persona like most of his film roles he does play mostly grizzled guys like despite jaws him being like uh, slightly, I don't know if I'd use timid, but not quite the the same kind of character he usually plays. Mm-hmm. Like, still um, a police captain, though. Still a police captain, but yeah. But I mean, he's a great tough guy. And watching this, like, um, I mean, he's he was pretty good in this. Like, what def- that's definitely one thing about Blue Thunders. I like their performances, especially Roy Scheider. It made me want to watch more Roy Scheider movies. Right. The uh, the one thing I learned from the IMDb trivia section is that um, one of the reasons Roy Scheider signed on to this film as quickly as he did, I guess, back in, <laughs> back in this time, was that he wanted to make sure he was unavailable to return for Jaws 3D. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Sorry. Gotta go fly a chopper. Gotta learn how to do it. It's gonna take some time. Damn, man. He yeah, it was interesting seeing him in an '80s movie. I feel like he's a, an incredibly '70s actor. Like we sometimes talk about actors who have like a golden decade, right. <laughs> like William Hurt in the '80s. I, I definitely think of Roy Scheider in the '70s, like French Connection, as you said, Marathon Man, Sorcerer, all that jazz. Jaws, obviously, like some some great '70s movies. Uh, but yeah, I just like he didn't grow into like a like a character actor who showed up in a lot of stuff later on in his career. And yeah, I mean, and then by the 90s, he was just a TV guy because it was before our time, but he was like the lead on that Sequest show, which I always feel mm. like we missed out because that seems like such a ridiculous show. <laughs> I don't really even know what that is. Yeah. I'm not 100%. Are they like a seaside There's like one. Of, I know one of the main characters is a dolphin. <laughs> It's like called Seaside DSV yeah. or something. John just says Seaside like that's a like we all do what he meant. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, right. Society, sure. Okay, Sequest. Oh, the the official name of the show was. Oh, it's got a couple names. It's either Sequest DSV or Sequest Twenty Thirty Two. In the early 21st century, mankind has colonized the oceans. The United Earth Oceans Organization enlists Captain Nathan Bridger and the submarine Sequest DSV to keep peace and explore the ocean. So it's like, yeah, it's like basically, it's basically like Star Trek: Next Generation, but uh, it's about the, but just the on sea. Earth in the ocean. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, some of the CGI is so bad though, and yeah, a dolphin <laughs> is one of the main characters. 
Nice. Um, I think it's really interesting you brought up how he feels out of like he should be in the seventies, but he's not. Because I feel like this yeah, movie being I mean, he, he kind of works for the early eighties, I guess, where they're kind of transitioning, into, right? Like the the action movie genre that kind of dominated the decade. That's that's exactly what I was going to say. Is this movie to me to me feels like a transitionary movie between the seventies <laughs> vibe and the eighties vibe? Like it's like yeah. the eighties is is really starting to take hold. It does have like a you know a synth score, but it had those in the seventies too. It's got computer stuff uh, that you, they're like you know technology can just do all this now uh, <laughs> neat <laughs> there's a sweet um, video montage you can watch on YouTube I'll have to look it up again so we can link it in the post which is what I would recommend people spend their time on instead of just watching the whole of Blue Thunder like <laughs> someone made like a like a synthwave aesthetic supercut of Blue Thunder oh that's awesome that's pretty fun um Continuing with the cast, I the person I'm most excited to talk about is Warren Oates uh, as the police chief, Jack Braddock. Um, this guy has got a million zinger one-liners in this movie, and he's just great. And he's not an actor I really know that much about. He's got a great look, too. Um, Warren Oates, known for um, making Western movies, especially with uh, Sam Peckinpah. He's in The Wild Bunch and... Uh, future pick probably for me bring me the head of alfredo garcia uh he's also uh outside of westerns probably most famous for being the other cop in in the heat of the night you know the other one there's another guy who's in in the heat of the night in this it's like the he's one of the the goons like the main goon i feel like he's got a very striking look Oh yeah, uh, but he he ends up being like the killer in in the heat of the night. But he's also wow. Famous. Spoiler, sorry for a fifty year old. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I did not. I did not realize that this was released posthumously for him. Right, he Ooh. died mm-hmm. in uh, nineteen eighty two, and this was filmed at the end of nineteen eighty one. Released in eighty three. Wow. Um, and apparently he was chronically ill the entire production, uh, which. I think just adds to this performance as a beleaguered police chief. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually one of three movies that is dedicated to Warren Oates. Um, the other ones are Tough Enough, uh, which was another f- movie he filmed in 1981 that was also released in 1983. Uh, and Iguana, which came out in 1988, uh, which is uh, directed by Monty Hellman, uh, who had worked with Warren Oates on a bunch of movies, including The Shooting and Tulane Blacktop. And you can check out my Tulane Blacktop review on mildlypleased.com. <laughs> it was fine. He's the best part of it. Because he's an actual Because he's an actual actor. The other, the other leads being Dennis Wilson and James Taylor, who are bad. <laughs> like, don't, I can barely speak English. More notes, great. War Notes, probably the one of the most... I've never seen it, but I, I want to just because, you know, he played John uh, Dillinger in John Milius' Dillinger film. And I can't... I've never seen an actor look so much like the person they're supposed to be. Like, if you, if you look up War Notes and John Dillinger, spot on. So, yeah. Wow. I, I'm like... I just have this, like... I'm making this list, this whole podcast about the... Oh, yeah, yeah, that might be good. That might be good. Yeah. So... 
just another one to add. We've also got a young Daniel Stern in this as Richard Lyman Good. Uh, obviously, he's done a few of his big indie movies, but it's not a household name yet. He's not done Home Alone. It's not a, it's not a superstar yet. Not the, well, I mean, City Slickers and Home Alone are pretty huge. And right? Wonder That's Years. Like, oh, right. Narrator of Wonder Years. He's not in it, right? He's just the voice he's of the Wonder Years. He's just the voice. It's like a, yeah. he's the Bob Saget, you know, like on How I Met Your sure. Mother of Wonder Years. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, he had a very big early 90s. <laughs> hell yeah, dude. Yeah. Where, when, did it, when did it come crashing down? Was it Dilbert? Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I remember hearing that, like, he was, like, kind of, like, expensive, like... They they originally he was the first pick for Dale on King of the Hill, but he like asked for way too much money. <laughs> they just couldn't get him. He was him. a superstar. They didn't have mm-hmm. Daniel Stern money, so they need that. I bet that was part of it. Uh, is, because, yeah. is Rookie of the Year the movie that's like impossible to find now? Is that the baseball movie I'm thinking? No, of? I, I think that's. Um, I mean, I don't. I don't know. I I somehow found a way to watch it. You got Rookie of the Year. An- okay. Angels in the Outfield is the one that Angels I can't in the find, Outfield, despite being one, a Disney yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rook, Rookie of the Year being uh, directed by Daniel Stern as well, <laughs> and he plays the most irritating character of all time. Yeah. <laughs> it's what it's what you can do when you're in charge. No one's gonna tell you. You can't be annoying. It's kind it's how, of fun. It's how Quentin Tarantino gets away with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of fun seeing him play this more impressionable, kind of like na- naive, kind of like character. Because Daniel Stern, like the Daniel Stern of my life, of my mm-hmm. memory, was always a, a, such a kooky guy. And it, it's right. he didn't start that way, though. He was like in Diner and stuff. Right. Yeah. Just yelling about records. And he's, he's mm-hmm. good. I like him. I think, he's, I think he works. Yeah, I mean, I wish they didn't have so much Pervin in the movie. <laughs> he's, I, he's a total okay, I, you know, <laughs> not that I'm trying to like defend their decisions, but like I think that's like the interesting parts of the movie is them just kind of showing what it's like to have this job and like how you can take advantage of this job. Because I, I love a movie about yeah. like a unique job. Like I've never it thought about unique. being a helicopter cop. <laughs> no, it is. It is kind of unsettling that they're like oh they're just cops flying around in the air above us and they can just like look into our lives if they really want although i i kind of am skeptical of of them being able to like get as low to the ground (laughs) where they they could like peek into someone's living room even with binoculars it's like i think everyone would hear a helicopter that close to the ground. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I can't suspend my disbelief because, like, any time I've ever seen a helicopter, it has been, like, the fucking loudest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't know if it's because, like, L.A. is just so loud, or I don't know. Is this more of a thing, I wonder, in, in like, Southern California? Like, It is because, let me tell you, one of the things you read about when you research this movie is that the co-writers Dan O'Bannon and Don Jacoby began developing this pilot or this uh, plot when they were living together in Hollywood in the late 70s. And they were just like so sick of low-flying police helicopters Mm. waking them up all the time. That's fun. They wrote what they knew. I, yeah, I should uh, write a movie about something that annoys me, like people <laughs> mowing their lawn too early. There's got to be a movie there. Or the garbage um, man or something. Uh, 
if I'm talking about the writers, though, this is the thing I was alluding to earlier. Uh, what we did in the last time, we talked about Dan O'Bannon and, and Don Jacoby last time on the end of the last episode. Go look that up. But what I didn't know last time is that this was also an uncredited rewrite by Dean Reisner. Mm. And that made everything make sense to me because Dean Reisner hopped on the Clint Eastwood bandwagon for a long time and did the scripts for movies like Dirty Harry, High Plains Drifter, <laughs> and The Enforcer. And I, once I knew that, I just like it like it it, it was like the, the end of uh, Usual Suspects. All the clues were right there in front of me the, the whole time. All this dialogue is extremely Dirty Harry. This movie is yeah. written like a Dirty Harry movie, but it's like, what if Dirty Harry <laughs> had a helicopter? I'm sorry. I got to butt in with this. Dean Reisner has one of the oddest Wikipedia photos I've ever I'm seen. So I'm glad I didn't even have to tell you this. Go ahead. Tell tell the world what Dean Reisner. So Dean Reisner was born in 1918. His photo is him from 1923. He's like a little child in his photo. He looks like he died on the Titanic. It's very antiquated. Why is it so old? Can you imagine if you were on Wikipedia and you're a baby in your photo? Why? Yeah. This guy died in 2002. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm trying to parse through this um this wikipedia i was hoping he'd also written uh what was that movie called firefox but i don't i don't think he did that one because that's the clint eastwood plane movie right is it a plane movie you've seen it you had to have seen it right sean firefox it seems like something you would have seen if you have it oh, i'm not mm. sure if i have uh, yeah i don't think I, he worked on it but yeah i am reading a little bit of uh Dean Reisner's autobiography. Not autobiography. Really? He didn't, he didn't wow. find his own Wikipedia page. Oh. <laughs> no, just, just the biography. It says that he was like a child actor. Oh. Uh, started acting in films at the age of four as gotcha. Dinky Dean. Sticky uh, Dean? Dinky Dean. Oh, Dinky. Okay. He was in a Charlie Chaplin movie, so I guess this picture was taken, you know, when he first got famous, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, wow. looks like he didn't work on Firefox, which is a Clint Eastwood Damn. movie where he's a pilot sent to the Soviet Union on a mission to steal a prototype jet fighter that could be partially controlled by a Neuralink. <laughs> that sounds like a better partner film to stealth than this, but whatever. That sounds pretty cool. Directed by Clint Eastwood, too. Nice. Uh, All right. Of course. Uh, um, yeah. I talked about the writers having a sort of anti-LAPD slant yeah um obviously that's reflected in the plot as well with this being a story of uh military and police people collaborating to kill city council people so that they can sell military helicopters to the police department so they can use them to uh spy on and control the population um so the LAPD did not give this film permission to use their branding. Uh, so if you ever watch this again, you'll notice there is no actual reference to the LAPD. Everything refers to mm. Metropolitan Police. <laughs> yeah, I didn't notice. And uh, the Astro Division is uh, is what they're they're called, not like the LAPD. 
like do they say that i mean obviously it is los angeles but do they say it is los angeles though they do i mean obviously it's It's not like metro city okay gotcha no (laughs) no metrocity Metrocity. another megamind reference (laughs) oh i didn't know that okay (laughs) very nice um yeah, there's some famous uh, L.A. locations, or maybe not famous, but recognizable L.A. locations, uh, like the Hooper Heliport, uh, which is where the uh, police air unit is stationed at. It just happened to be under construction at the time that they were making this, so they were able to use the basically the construction site of this new heliport before the police actually moved into it. Um, and then also uh, they used the Pickwick Theater at Burbank. That's the big uh, drive-in theater scene. Mm. Uh, that was just a real drive-in theater that they went to and great news for society that's now a supermarket <laughs> oh that's that sucks when there's like a cool like film location and then you want to go visit it and it just like i remember sean we watched this is what a coincidence we watched war games uh, right. which you know a lot is set in seattle and you know it's kind of filmed all over the place but there is a lot of washington state like f- like locations and i feel like we wanted to check one out and we looked it up like online it, it's probably been like demolished there's just nothing there anymore it's just a fucking downer um i think we could still go to what? that weird island that uh, doc was it dr falcon i haven't seen that movie in a while <laughs> yeah yeah the it's like yeah. Goose oh my Island god! You can nail it, Doctor Falcon. Yeah, I think I think he's somewhere. You can go visit his island. <laughs> I'm sure, people do it all the time. Uh, is this uh, Doctor Falcon's island from War Games? <laughs> so the the funny thing also, speaking of War Games, is that because this this was filmed in '81, yeah, uh, War Games also came out in '83, like a month and a half after uh, Blue Thunder came out. Oh wow. Hmm. It actually did even better. It was the fifth highest grossing movie in, in 1983. Uh, Blue Thunder didn't do that well, although it was the second highest grossing movie in May of 1983. I saw that too. I was trying to look up its box office. Yeah, it was able to beat Flashdance for that month, but not in total. Obviously, Flashdance ended up doing really well. And then there's just another movie, I don't know, Return of the Jedi. Kind of <laughs> made a lot of money in May of 1983. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, going back to the cast, we also had uh, Candy Clark in this. Someone I don't like think about a lot, but she's been in a lot of fun things. Obviously, her Academy Award nomination was for American Graffiti, another very vehicle-centric movie. Um. <laughs> for for a movie that seems like they just threw in like a love plot just cause I thought this one actually worked pretty well I think it's just the strength of the actors and the chemistry between them I actually liked that relationship so I yeah. I was surprised I thought they were very charming together I liked that they set up that she's a really reckless driver early on in the movie <laughs> to pay that off with her getting to have a car chasing oh that's fun absolutely yeah Um, Sean, there's still one key cast member you haven't talked about. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Malcolm someone, McDowell. Someone who John has met in the flesh. Uh, <laughs> a, a close personal friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, John, you have to tell them about the pomegranates. 
I bet when I met him, he probably had stills from Blue Thunder. I could have gotten <laughs> on. You think? Well, the thing about when I met Malcolm McDowell is he had stills from, like, everything he'd ever made. <laughs> <laughs> like, he had ones from, like, he had stills from when he was on Superman, the animated series. Like, he, he had stills from, he was in the movie Bolt. And you could get, yeah, like, a so Malcolm had, McDowell. Get stills of cartoons that he was. Yeah. That rules. Um, Malcolm McDowell uh, did not, and I probably still does not like flying. <laughs> so I don't know why he agreed to make this movie. Uh, Mary Steenburgen, who was his wife at the time, um, said that she could not even convince him to fly, like for vacation. So she was like, "How did you guys <laughs> get him in a helicopter for this?" Um, so do you think he just like flew to uh, America to be in Hollywood films and just never went back to England? <laughs> and he's stuck. You yeah. know, maybe he takes a boat. <laughs> wow. <laughs> just it sounds like he basically doesn't fly. I mean, that was when he was it's like John Maddenbergen. It's been a while. John Madden took like a super bus all across the country. Yeah, it just seems hard when your your home country is an ocean away. Wow! Just had had to post my picture of me and Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> and a picture yeah. of Malcolm McDowell from 2010, I believe. He looks he looks good. Yeah. I don't look as good. I'm like 20, 21 maybe in this photo. That's so. fine. He's very yeah. nice if anyone wanted to That's know. That's good. Snarky in a fun way, like the way you'd want him yeah. to be. Yeah. Um, um, but but the, the, the reason I, I got distracted because I was having some te- technical issues, but um, well, I was just kind of like trying to remember the plot and I was reading through the, the, Wiki, the Wikipedia, and maybe you remember this a little bit better, Sean. It said like he's his nemesis, and at first I was confused. I'm like, well, they fought, didn't they fight on the same side in Vietnam? And I guess he did. And it said that like Roy Scheider was a subordinate. I can't remember if they went into why they hated each other because it felt weird that because usually in these kind of movies, I feel like your rival like pilot is because he fought on like the other side. So it was just kind of an interesting it's, weird dynamic. So I mean, me. first of all, it's really weird because Malcolm McDowell is not hiding his accent, so he's a yeah. British. United States Air Force <laughs> veteran. Uh, yep. And honestly, all I remember, they do flashback to it a few times, but as far as I can remember, the whole Vietnam flashback we see is Roy Shires flying a helicopter, and Malcolm McDowell has like a prisoner of theirs, and he throws the prisoner out of the helicopter, and you see the guy fall to his death. And then Malcolm McDowell's like, let's go home. And <laughs> yeah, he's like, don't worry about it. And he's like, oh, this is bad. And then Roy Shire's like, I'm gonna PTSD over this. But like, what? What was the significance of that guy? Is it just because they killed innocent people in Vietnam? Yeah, I guess that's bad. But I feel like I need a little more. <laughs> well, and also, it made it very confusing to me that. 
Roy Scheider gets like called into this demonstration to watch Malcolm McDowell fly the helicopter, and then Malcolm McDowell's immediately like, "I'm got to get him killed." <laughs> like he sabotages his helicopter. Remember that? Yeah, like, he he sneaks into his helicopter and unscrews the thing, and he's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill you." We I'm just met for the first time in years. Time to Vietnam. Die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he tries to kill him even more once, once, uh, his <laughs> schemes are exposed. But I, I, I did not understand. I, tr- I, you guys, you know, I try so hard on these podcasts to unpack complicated pots, at least yeah. in my notes. So at least I understand. Everything. You're the plot. You're the plot master, Sean. If, if you don't understand it, no one understands. It. And I, I, I feel like I understand that there's this conspiracy going on to, you know, to, to like fake crime in L.A. so they can have these crazy helicopters so that they can use them to control the population. I get all of that. I don't understand how Roy Scheider got into this because they're like, you have to come to the demonstration. And I don't know why <laughs> that was. <laughs> and I don't know how it's like, OK, now you get to fly it. Like, what happened? Why? Yeah, they already got a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and he's good at it, too. And he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have to check his watch to make sure he's not insane or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't go on sweet drives in a sweet car. He just needs to have a rival. It's funny because I could think of at least off the top of my head two other movies about flying where there's like, the main guy has his rival who's also a pilot. <laughs> I feel like that's just a like, – because of the other ones that come to mind, I watched um, The Great Waldo Pepper earlier this year. And in that movie, Robert Redford's got, like, a rival pilot from the war, like a German guy. And then Porco Rosso has his right. rival. yeah. <laughs> so it's like it just – you just have to – if it's a movie about flying, you got to have the other guy who's also into it. Even Top mm. Gun. It's just mm. such a clunky way. Yeah, it's just a clunky way that they got him into it. <laughs> didn't really make yeah. any sense i guess also so you can have a sweet fight at the end <laughs> yeah that's good but that that's one of the, one of the best parts of the movie yeah. definitely <laughs> i do like the part when the uh, malcolm mcdowell's plan is revealed where <laughs> it's another instance of the helicopter being so close to them that it's like how did he not hear this the entire time they're literally staring at each other <laughs> <laughs> from the helicopter the into his hotel room. <laughs> um, and that's, and that's the only time where I was able to suspend my disbelief because we see uh, 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 Daniel Stern like flip a switch that's like quiet mode. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. For just that one scene. So I'm like, okay. So he's well, I mean, they, they use that in the U.S. military, according to the, <laughs> the opening text. <laughs> the opening text. So it's, it, it's real. And quiet so mode. I got, a, I got a minor complaint about Blue Thunder itself, okay. the, the vehicle. Let's hear it. I don't think it's uh, high-tech enough. Really? It it wasn't cool enough. So I'm looking right now. I'm just I'm just on the Wikipedia. I'm looking at like the specs, and it says at least the ones they include here are thermal infrared scanners, unidirectional microphones, and cameras, built-in mobile telephone, computer and modem, and umatic video cassette recorder. Right. None of those sound impressive in 2023 to me. I I mean I don't well, know is... what a police helicopter can do, but I don't know. It's just I I need something like it shoots like. 
like uh, I, like tar or like <laughs> has a flamethrower. <laughs> well, I need some like speed racer type stuff or a Batmobile. Mm. You know, I think it's interesting that the first like that demonstration scene we're talking about. The main thing they have it do is uh, like show that it can hit the bad guys and not the good guys when it does like strafing runs of this mock town. Uh, yeah. But they show it like totally hitting a bunch of civilians. Well, it's, I can't remember if this was. I thought this was a line in the movie, unless I'm just dreaming it. That they're saying like, for every amount of like bad guys you're killing, you're killing some good guys, yeah. but it's mostly bad. It's like guys. it's yeah. ten terrorists for one civilian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is fucked yeah. up, but it's like so. Yeah, they do they do touch on that. But it's like it's just fucked th- up. This is their best selling point, and it's still like it's not great at it. <laughs> Only kills some people. Um, but thankfully, oh. Roy Roy Scheider is able to deduce its real value as a spy vehicle. Um, and also, yeah, as to the stealthy thing, I I think the movie does a great job of showing how disruptive it is to be like near a helicopter. Because there are so many scenes of it just, just like flying low and it's just like blasting people over. Um, sometimes it's like, why are you doing that? Like, there's a scene where Candy Clark has to uh, <laughs> dig through a dumpster and Roy Scheider is like flying right above her and she's like blowing the garbage everywhere. It's like, why are you making her job harder? Yeah, it's just like, why didn't he just get it if he was going to fly back <laughs> yeah. close to the dumpster? <laughs> just land, man. <laughs> Um, I also saw in the credits. She takes that tape to a new, like a, a network a TV, like news station, and uh, I saw that one of the reporters is playing himself. So we had a real, oh, like, good. Los Angeles reporter in this movie from the Ooh. early '80s. Oh, nice! It's like when you see like Wolf Blitzer in like Battleship or whatever, you know, stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah, totally. It's like I do that. I'm like a pro at this in real life. I could do it in a movie. It's always fun. Must have been fun for Los Angeles people to see that guy. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. Um, so I've been kind of jumping through the plot. I don't think we really need to do a whole recap. Basically, what what Roy Scheider finds out is on top of this Blue Thunder conspiracy, or no, because of this Blue Thunder conspiracy, where these people want to um, have Blue Thunders all over LA so they can control the, the population, and to 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 make that happen, they uh, murder a city councilwoman. And uh, Roy Scheider, suspicious of that, so he sort of does his own investigation. Ends up um, stealing Blue Thunder and recording uh, Malcolm McDowell and the rest of the conspirators. And then Daniel Stern ends up with the tape. Uh, And in one of the most surprising scenes in the movie to me, that dude just gets his ass run over. Did you guys see that coming? No, I guess not. I guess not. And I feel like it is a rare movie death to just get run over by a car, but where you just like kind of see it and he just kind of lays there and you're like, oh, okay. That's sad. And he's dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that kicks off uh, all the action that makes up the, the rest of the movie. And uh, what happens is Roy Scheider steals the helicopter again. And uh, Candy Clark has to get the tape to the news. And then we're into aerial fights. Um, the first one is a match between uh, two, I want to say, F-16s. Two big military jets and and Blue Thunder. And 
what uh, Roy Scheider does is he uses the city as a weapon against these jets. Uh, and one of the things he does is when they're locking onto with heat-seeking missiles, he flies in front of a uh, barbecue shop in Little Tokyo and has them blow up the barbecue shop instead. Um, and one of the most memorable movies explosions I've ever seen because it fills the street with barbecue chickens. <laughs> Um, I hope those are props because that seems like such a waste of chickens. <laughs> Not Sean, they just made it extra barbecue, right? <laughs> extra crispy. Um, and then in another scene that seems uh, probably a little more stressful to anyone living after 9-11 than it did in 1983, they also shoot a missile into um, the Arco Plaza, <laughs> which is a big skyscraper <laughs> in Los Angeles. Uh, pretty surprising thing to see the military just blast a missile into a, a, a high-rise building uh, and then not suffer any consequences for it either. Um, crazy stuff. And that kicks off the final chase sequence where we have uh, Malcolm McDowell flying his helicopter chasing after Blue Thunder. And of course, Blue Thunder is able to do the big trick that... Uh, Roy Shire set up early on in the movie, which is he can do a, a 360 flip uh, in his helicopter, which I'm sure isn't possible. Uh, it didn't look very real at all. Didn't, and didn't, so. Didn't seem like it makes any sense. See, that's the stuff I liked. <laughs> well, yeah. I want to see Blue Thunder do the fantastic stuff. It was cool. So uh, I did look it up, and um, that scene. They did a lot of scenes with a real French. Aerospatel SA341G Gazelle that was modified to look like Blue Thunder. But for the loop scene, they used a radio-controlled model. Oh, that's fun. I like that. Now, I thought all the copter stuff was really good. It was all practical, it was cool explosions. It was exciting. I think the editing was. Pre- I thought I saw this was like nominated for an editing it Oscar, yep. maybe one Oscar nomination, best editing. Frank Morris and Edward Abrams. And it is good. It's a good sequence. Like if you're someone who's just in this for like the helicopter stuff, you're gonna like those parts a lot. I think so. Too. You just might get a you might get a little bored when it's just like you know Roy Scheider snooping around on the ground. Might not be as fun for you. Um, I thought it was funny. He gives. A- he has one piece of paper that someone's written on in Spanish and he gives it to a guy and he's like, can you tell me what this says? And the guy's like, let me take it to the lab. I'll get back to you tomorrow. And it's like, this takes 24 hours to read one piece of paper in Spanish. <laughs> no, in, in, in Los nobody Los speaks Spanish in LA. It's well known. Um, Yeah, that's that's really the the only plot stuff I wanted to talk about. Um, the the real legacy of this movie is that uh, Jaffo J A F O entered the popular lexicon uh, after oh. after uh, Daniel Stern has to wear a, a hat a, a hat that says Jaffo on it, or maybe it's a shirt. Yeah, uh, which we then learn stands for just another fucking observer. <laughs> pretty cool uh that's actual police slang that i guess became somewhat popular at least in the early 80s 
Um, I don't know if that's used much in the TV series spinoff that Blue <laughs> Thunder got after this. Uh, it sounds like the TV series did not have the same budget as a Hollywood movie and thus was unable to do a lot of new uh, helicopter stuff. Instead, it relied on existing stock footage and especially footage from this movie for the <laughs> helicopter scenes in the Blue Thunder TV show, which sounds dreadful. But let me tell you, this show's got a cast. It stars James Farentino. Uh, not someone I know a lot about, but he's in like Dynasty and the Final Countdown. But it also stars pre-SNL Dana Carvey as his sidekick. Are you shocked? Are you amazed? Uh, I'm not amazed because this I have a I have a segment so oh, okay. I will, yeah it'll, you'll, <laughs> John's been looking up some facts. All right, I got a segment. And then uh, you might also recognize two NFL stars in the cast: Bubba Smith and Dick Butkus. Uh, also, also what stars. A great name. One of the great names in all of history. <laughs> all of humankind. Um. Was a mid-season replacement, the Blue Thunder show, but it still only managed to last eleven episodes before being canceled. So, uh, probably probably give that whole show a total miss. But I think the movie's fine. In- yeah, absolutely adequate. <laughs> yeah. Has great action scenes, uh, some good performances. A plot that's not uninteresting, but I feel like it needed some more set pieces in the middle to kind of keep me invested. Well, it's just there's stuff that they also set up that they didn't do anything with. Like the PTSD angle, they could have totally gone, hey, this guy's a cop, he's totally deranged, he's got PTSD, he's going on a rampage. And they didn't do that for some reason. Also, Blue Thunder should have had uh, an oil slick and shot a <laughs> Yes, more gadgets. <laughs> yeah. The Whisper Quiet thing is good, though. I like that one. Um, for the goose section this time, I'm going to give you the experience of what this, what it would have been like watching this movie with my dad uh, by reading all the technical goofs from the IMDb section. <laughs> so, Cochrane sabotages Murphy's Belgian Ranger by removing the cotter pin and loosening the nut on the throttle control linkage bolt so it can slip out. Aviation bolts are always installed head and up as a safety precaution to keep the bolt in place should the nut come off so this would not have happened long shotgun mics meant to record sound coming from the surface while the helicopter is in flight would never be mounted on the top of the helicopter directly below the rotor blades aside from the blades and engine drowning out any sound the ground would not be within the pickup pattern of the microphones and there would be no way to maneuver them into the correct position after Cochrane's demonstration flight, where the main gun continued to fire after he released the fire button, he stated that he had a, quote, stoppage. A stoppage would indicate the weapon stopped firing. He either had a run-on, a mechanical failure of the firing mechanism, or a cook-off, where the barrel got so hot it ignited the rounds as they were chambered. And finally, early in the movie, the police helicopter is shot at and hit with at least one bullet. The pilots should have flown back to headquarters or at least landed and assessed the damage. They did not. They just kept patrolling. So those are some of the uh, technical inaccuracies in Blue Thunder. Sure. And, uh, 
you, you think that's why your dad was, didn't like it so much? <laughs> the funny thing with my dad is we will, we will watch a movie and then later that year he'll be like I've never seen that movie. So I don't know how he remembered <laughs> Blue Thunder from 40 years ago. And specifically that one aspect of it that he's always looking at his watch. <laughs> it's, it baffles me. Just really stuck with him, I guess. <sighs> Did he watch? Was he a fan of the show? No, although he is a huge, uh, what's it called, Airwolf? Is that right? <laughs> is that that other show? That sounds it right. It is, it is. This is very interesting that you bring this up. Because this, this will play in slightly to my segment. <laughs> okay. Um, right. I, I, my segment, yes? I think we're ready. I was going to say. I think it's... I think. Okay, that's... great. Uh, yeah, my segment's called John's TV Party. Because <laughs> okay. I've got nothing better to do than watch TV and talk about it with you. Uh, so I watched the pilot episode of the Blue Thunder TV show. Wow. Uh, I found it on YouTube, 47 minutes. Uh-oh. And it it was bad. Oh, okay, no. so yeah, you're talking about this is James Ferentino as the stand-in for Roy Scheider. He's fine. I like him. Dana Carvey, totally unremarkable in this show. Not funny at all. Um, kind of feels like if you've ever met like one of your dad's friends and he's trying to be funny around you, <laughs> and it's but it's just not clicking. Like there's just there's no there's no connection there. Um, but there is a silver lining in the show. I'm gonna get to it for uh, a minute. So the episode is about. Uh, it opens with some 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 helicopter cops flying around, and then they get gunned down by some sort of mysterious vehicle. Um, and it looked like I don't remember. The, if, it must have been from the movie because it looked a little too good. I think it was from the movie. There definitely is certain scenes where I'm like, yeah, this is from the movie. This is footage <laughs> from the movie. So you have that opening, and then you have you know your classic, uh, you know, kind of cheesy like theme song, and it shows all you know, like how old TV shows used to do, where it's like, here's the the actor and here's their name next to them. Right. All dudes. I've never <laughs> seen. I can't remember the show where I've seen this. Not a single woman. <laughs> And you mentioned most of them. Oh, yeah. the, 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 the saving grace of me watching this show was Bubba Smith and Dick Buckus. Because they're basically, there's like a team. You got Dana Carvey and James Ferentino. They're the, basically the stand-ins for Roy Scheider and Daniel Stern. And then Bubba Smith and Dick Buckus drive around in a truck called Rolling Thunder. <laughs> and they're like, they, they keep saying they're the ground crew. I could never figure out in the whole show what they're actually doing. They just drive around in a truck. Like... I guess they're like they're like, hey, he's over there, but it's like it seems like the helicopter would always have a better view, especially when I assume most of their threats are aerial based. But these guys are so fucking funny together. It's crazy that Dana Carvey is like the third funniest person on this show, because the dynamic they have is like Bubba Smith is always just like. Hey man, you gotta calm down. And Dick Buckus is always like, "What are you talking about? I'm the nicest guy around." And it's like the material sucks, but like the performances are really funny. And I was yelling at each other. They're kind of like they're a little bit like Bulk and Skull from Power, Power Rangers. Rangers, but like it's like, why are these guys not the? St- if these guys were the star of the show, I would watch every episode. <laughs> <laughs> they're so funny. They're also both former football players in the show like they talk about football multiple wow. times and like there's definitely a scene where like dick buckus tries to put his football in bubba smith's locker and he's like hey this is my locker he's like i know mine's full 
It's like, oh man, cue laugh track. This could have been a great comedy show. But sadly, it's not. Uh, yeah, so we, we get to meet them driving around. And then we go right to our first introduction of, of James Ferentino and Dana Carvey is the demonstration of Blue Thunder. But what's weird is in the movie, you know, it's Malcolm McDowell going through that, that weird little like ghost town shooting all this stuff. Here, it's the same footage of the ghost town being shot down. But then James Ferentino gets out of the helicopter. He's already been hired, Mm. which I actually, I guess, makes more sense in the movie. But what I don't understand is the captain, uh, I wouldn't recognize this actor, Sandy McPeak, just hates him for no particular reason. Like, at least in the movie, you got to see, like, Oh, you know, um, Roy Scheider's got like PTSD. He's kind of like doing stuff he's not supposed he was, to. He's watching a naked lady while like one of the yeah, like, police captains got murdered. It's there's pretty reasons bad. for like for like him to be like not trusted, but in this, it just like oh, his what's his name, Frank Frank Cheney. But you never know why he doesn't like him. Um, it's Frank Murphy and, as well, right? So they kept the same first name. Frank, yeah, it's, his name is Frank. Um, the only, I, I, yeah, the only like ba- like jab I remember too is he's like he always wears a Brooklyn Dodgers hat, and he's like, you know that they don't even play in Brooklyn anymore. He's like, <laughs> he's like, if you ask me, they never left, and I'm like, what is that? Mean? Wait, <laughs> is not this set in L.A.? Yeah, I think so. This like is that's so the only. Like, yeah, I don't know. He, well, he's apparently if he's from Brooklyn. They never left. Or maybe he doesn't like count the the LA Dodgers as being like a real team. <laughs> the team. Like, oh, they're, yeah. the team but that'd be like if me in the city like, that he lives in. It'd be like if so I wore like a Baltimore a Baltimore Colts hat, which is the team that uh, Bubba Smith won the Super Bowl with. And I'd be like, "Hey, man, as far as, far as uh, you ask me, they never left." It's like, no, they they left. They went to Indianapolis. Um, but yeah, so they're they're trying to try go after this uh, this mysterious uh, craft that keeps gunning down cops and then you find out like he's like a disgruntled former like uh, cop or something and he and he's just killing guys I feel like there's also something about like he uses his jet to like transport drugs too but like his thing is like um, he always tells you where he's gonna be he's like that confident that no one can catch him yeah <laughs> Uh, but like, no, but he doesn't like. I don't think he realized that they got fucking blue thunder now. So he like Frank Murphy's like, come on, man, or Frank, whatever fuck his name is, is like, come on, man, we got blue thunder. And now there's a line that I liked where he's like, he said, um, yeah, he says, uh, we'll wipe him out of the sky. And the other guy's like, wipe him out of the sky. What are you, Luke Skywalker? <laughs> and I enjoyed that because I was like, wow, that was like that was new back. <laughs> That was like if today in a show it's like, what are you, Dom Toretto? I really enjoyed that. Stuff like that. Um, but yeah, just like a lot of shots from the show. And then it ends in a very not satisfying way where the um, you, the, the bad guy keeps firing his like, he has homing missiles. But every time they get close to Blue Thunder, they're like, I'm jamming the system to stop it. And I've heard that in like games and movies, but I'm not really sure what that means. They're jamming the system <laughs> to like make the homing missiles miss. But like anyone with any media literacy, I think well, when you watch something like this, will be like, oh, see, they, they, they keep showing they're really focusing on these homing missiles. 
the last one's gonna he's gonna like hit himself with his own homing missile. That's how move like shows and movies work. <laughs> but that doesn't happen. They put so much focus on the homing missiles and that that never pays <laughs> off. What does happen is they, they just like they keep shooting him, they keep shooting him. He's like, ha, you'll never get me. And you see his like plane go over a cliff and he's like laughing and it explodes. <laughs> but he, you don't see him die, so I assume that character would have come back had oh, they wow. made enough episodes of this show. <laughs> Because it just seems like he probably lived. Like, I'll get you next time. Even though you blew up my you know, amazing jet. And the show ends with them like, oh, they're fucking locker room. Uh, Dick Buckhead and Bubba Smith are hilarious. Dana Carvey tries to ask a girl out for a date. And she's like, yeah, I don't think so. And it's like, oh, okay, it's lame. He's also, I didn't realize Dana Carvey's so short. He's, I mean, it, it doesn't help when you stay next to NFL athletes. <laughs> Yeah. He's kind of the he's not bad, but he's kind of the most disappointing part of the show because this did get a DVD release, and I wonder like did that only come out because Dana Carvey's in it? He's, he's <laughs> got to be the biggest draw for anyone to watch this show. Yeah. John, um, John, you said all the characters' names except for Dana Carvey's, and I'm dying for oh, you to tell yeah. people his name. Clinton Wonderlove, <laughs> KK Jaffo. Um, Clinton Wonderlove. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm just confused why they went with such a cartoonish last name. Yeah, Sean, you mentioned Airwolf. Airwolf comes up quite a bit in the comment section to the person who uploaded this onto YouTube. Let me see if I can just pull up some of these comments real quick here. Um, what do we got? We got um, a lot of like I don't even remember this show now. I know why. Um, upload more episodes. Person's like, I don't remember this part of Police Academy. Most of the comments suck, but there's, there's I know there were some Airwolf ones. People are saying like, um, this is almost as bad as Airwolf season four. And this guy's like, hey, at least Airwolf season four was trying to get back to its roots with like Airwolf season four. <laughs> so there's some, there's a lot of Airwolf debate going on in this comment section. Also, the first comment on the video is just someone just wrote gay. Uh, cool. <laughs> That's people are still like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was bad, but there was. I was surprised that there was some things I liked about it. That there were some cast members I liked about it. I'm never gonna watch any more of this. What? I probably sh- I probably should have done a villains wiki. I didn't think it had one, but it does. I just found out that it does yeah, for Malcolm. Seems yeah. pretty. Have you read it? You want me to do it? I forgot it. I've got the link right here. I can click it. You really want to keep going? Let's get it. I'll just do one real quick. Because I want to know, can anyone tell me his name? <laughs> well, I know because I was looking it up. So I'm not going to um, No, absolutely not. What's his name? He's F.E. Cochran, a.k.a. Francis Edward Cochran, okay. a.k.a. Fuck Everybody. Oh, <laughs> I remember that part. Uh, Fuck Everybody. He's a malicious senior U.S. military fire pilot and lieutenant colonel, uh, and his, his other occupation is Frank Murphy's arch nemesis. So that's a full-time job for him. Uh, <laughs> his powers and skills include his high intelligence, his resources, his being a highly skilled pilot, and his firearm skills, which, I, I mean, I guess he does shoot a helicopter. That's probably pretty hard. Uh, his hobby is antagonizing and attempting to fail Murphy. So it's nice when your job's also your hobby. That's good. Um, his goals, kill Frank Murphy, use the Thor project and Blue Thunder helicopter in order to eliminate political undesirables. 
Uh, and it doesn't say failed here, but I can tell you it failed. Uh, his crimes include sabotage, attempted murder, and conspiracy. Um, what type of villain do you think that makes Cochran, guys? I got part of it. I don't remember. Because th- I did look at it. All right. I don't remember the rest of it. Well, maybe you can give us that word, and you and Colin can guess the other one. I, f- I feel like maybe conspirator was part of it. Yeah. Conspiracy. So we yeah. need we need the adjective. I don't remember what it was. Renegade um, conspirator. A- aerial conspirator. I don't remember. Both probably better. He's a fanatical conspirator because mm. he's just so obsessed with killing Frank Murphy. He doesn't seem that obsessed, to be honest. I mean, he wants to do it, but, like... I feel like he's more of just, like, what are you doing here? I'm doing <laughs> yeah, my own thing. He's, he's just like... pissed that he had a gig and that now he's here. Yeah. Um, I'd be pissed, too, honestly. I And I really do love that shot when he's like, wait a minute, and he goes and opens the window, and the helicopter is right there outside his window. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. That is exceptional. <laughs> you know, we... We take for granted that movies are shot like movies, but it's worth remembering every once in a while. There's an artistry there. People are working hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a good looking movie. Absolutely, It is. Yeah. Shot on location like, in LA. Yeah. Couldn't have been easy to film all of the <laughs> aerial sequences. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, so in conclusion, three stars? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you could talk me into three and a half, maybe. It's fine. Who mm-hmm. did? You, you talked yourself into it? No, I'm, I also I, gave it three stars. Yeah, I'm I, saying, I would have given it three stars as well. I'm, I think I'm we're saying, agreed on this one. Okay, well, no one did, but someone could have. Someone out there <laughs> oh, could okay. have talked to you. Someone Sorry. had come in real hot, really lobbying for this If movie. it's any consolation show, Sean... It's about eight billion times better than that show that I watched. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. That show was made you appreciate it. it. It did actually. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I'm like, oh yeah, there's like like things. Character development is important. Yeah. And, this, and yeah. the movie actually has some of that. <laughs> so <A bit>. props. <laughs> I mean, for Roy Scheider, absolutely. I think so. And way more than. Uh, the best, the, the most I know about Frank Cheney is that he thinks the Brooklyn Dodgers <laughs> never left. He doesn't live in reality. <laughs> he thinks he's Luke Skywalker. Yeah. All right, it's my little pick. What's it gonna be? No, my big pick. It's my big one. Whoa! My, whoa! What if you just did another little pick? Keep us around for a little longer. Uh, They have Doritos that are taco flavored again. They're very good. (laughs) (laughs) They are good, though. The late night taco Doritos. (laughs) Um, They're back. Uh, There's my second little pick. Uh, So, for my my little, my big little pick. This is getting good. By which I mean my regular pick. So way back in the summertime, I had this like grand vision for some reason because I, I knew like we were going to do something with like possession or the devil for October. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I should do for September. I should do a movie about angels and then I'll do a movie about demons. And I just threw that all out the window, especially because my second movie 
my demons movie didn't really have anything to do with possession specifically. So if I'm not even going to keep on theme, um, I don't think I'm going to do that. So th- those movies were, and I might pick them again. We'll see. Or I guess I never picked them in the first place, but I was going to originally pick city of angels, the Nicolas Cage movie, oh, yeah. which I might at some point. And then the other one I was going to pick is, uh, there's a Denzel Washington devil movie from the nineties called fallen <laughs> that I was considering. What? Um, which I don't think people actually, it has a bit of a falling, but I don't think people actually like that much. It's just, it sounded cool, has a good cast. It's in, it's shot in Philly. You thought you'd like that, Colin. But I watched the trailer and I was like, eh, I feel like I've seen way better versions of movies like this. Denzel in Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. He's been there. (laughs) There you go. He's been, he's been there before, man. He already did that. Um, so then I decided, you know, there's a writer-director that I've been uh, focused in on a lot this year, and he does have a movie that is spooky. He's got a couple, not many. It's not usually his his space. Uh, that is Paul Schrader. Uh-huh. So I kind of want to watch Paul Schrader's 1982 remake of Cat People. Wow. Uh, of course, the remake of the classic 1942 movie. Also, our good friend, Malcolm McDowell, or should I say Malcolm McDuel? Because I'd be back-to-back Malcolm <laughs> McDowell's. And also, dual threat, great actor, and my close personal friend. Right. Uh, is the co-lead of this movie, along with <laughs> Natasha Kinski. Are you going to be able to get him on the, the show? Is he going to call in? Well, hmm. <laughs> Think you can pull some strings? Hey, I think maybe... You know, we I met some people at the convention. They might, yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. We'll see. All That'd right. be nice. So. I'm sure. He's uh he's guy he's in, I know he lives in America. So at he least can't, he can't, he can't go can't go back to England. I believe he does live in Los Angeles. Yeah. So he is in the same at least time zone as Sean and I. So okay. that would be convenient for him. He won't have to stay is, up like I do. He is 80 years old, mm. but I he's still pretty active. Sure. Yeah, that's president age. Yeah, he's, he's he's young enough to be the president. Uh, but there's a lot about Cat People, the 82 version, that is appealing to me. Sure. Uh, yeah, Paul Schrader, Natasha Kinski. You also got John Hurd, Annette O'Toole. You got uh, Ed Bagley Jr., who I've discovered is in a lot of Paul Schrader movies, like m- almost all of them. He loves huh. putting them in, in small parts in his movies. Uh, you got music by Giorgio Moroder. You have a theme song by David Bowie and oh. Giorgio Moroder. You've covered all that I know about this movie. Um, Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars. He thought it was really good. Sometimes it's marketed as cat people colon a neurotic fantasy, Whoa. which I'm like, yeah, Whoa. Paul Schrader, that, that, that lines up. That sounds funny. <laughs> I like it. I think like this is where I'm at, too, with his directorial career i feel like i've been going in kind of order i don't remember when did Mish- mishima come out was that later in the 80s I, i've i've been keeping good pace uh, like watching most of his stuff in chronological order i think i, think. I actually don't know <laughs> i did jump ahead to watch autofocus recently 1985 uh, mishima is 1985 yeah yeah and i watched i watched american gigolo like a month or two ago and i've I watched Hardcore and Blue Collar, and I've been watching the movies he wrote, like Rolling Thunder, Obsession, Taxi Driver. Uh, so it'll be fun to kind of get into him a little bit, because uh, 
Also, I mean, the, the, the reason I've been into Paul Schrader, I'll, I'll talk about this more on that episode, is because he, he was such a part of Quentin's book that uh, I read yes. this year. Of course. Like, he's interviewed for it a lot. And, uh, yeah, I'll, let's save some more of those fun facts for when we're actually talking about uh, talking about the movie. And, hey, he also did that that, Exor- that Exorcist movie that I'll be reviewing in Shocktober as well. Damn straight. Um, but I don't imagine we'll get to this for a little while. This probably this isn't going to, like, you know, this cat people. I don't really know what our October is going to look like podcast-wise because we got plans in late October. I don't know how many podcasts we're going to get out. True. We'll see. Yeah. I was going to say we're getting really good at the tease, but then at the very end they were like, who knows when this will happen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you, you, one way you can find out, or at least start reading uh, the Shocktober posts, is if you head over to mildlyplease.com. You also get more podcasts if you search for Molly Please on uh, Apple Podcasts or any other thing, including Spotify. Although Spotify deletes some of our episodes because of copyright issues, so maybe that's not the best source. Just uh, yeah, Apple Podcasts. That's where I go. And uh, there is a bright side to this, and a moral. I think morals are good for you. I love morals. And the moral of this story is, if you're walking on eggs, don't hop. That's, that's a quote from the movie. That I made this mm, mm, very good. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.